Today is Global Running Day, and we have a special episode with Shari Hawkins, the 2022 USA Indoor Champion in the Heptathlon. She has also represented the U.S. internationally on several occasions. But what is most impressive about Shari is her advocacy around mental health. Today, she's going to share with us her advice for changing how we see mental health and learning how to create your own story. In the heptathlon, athletes compete in seven events, hurdles, high jump, shot put, 200 meter run, long jump, javelin, and the 800 meter. Shari is one of the best heptathletes in the world. She's currently ranked sixth globally. But what I love most about her story is the importance she put on mental health. But it wasn't something that she started with in high school and college. It wasn't really until she had one of the hardest moments that she struggled with with performance anxiety that she got to a point where she finally understood the importance of training your mind. In this episode, Shari shares her journey with sports psychologists and how she turned mental health into her biggest strength as an athlete. She also shares with us how she learned to detach her identity from performance and write down your dreams, goals, obstacles, and more in order to craft your own story. This is such an inspiring episode, and I can't wait for you to learn more about Shari. Welcome to the Voice and Sport podcast, Shari. Well, we're really excited to have you on today and to talk about mental health. It's such an important topic right now. And as you've said before, it's not if, but it's when we need um, help with mental health. So really excited to dive into it today with you. Let's start with your relationship with sports at your very, very beginning. When you were young and getting started, is this a sport that you always thought that you were going to be, you know, one of the best in the world at? To be honest, no. I grew up in a basketball family. So my dad is a basketball coach and I am the youngest of five kids and everybody played basketball all growing up. And I also did volleyball, softball and gymnastics. I did dance, just like a little bit of everything. I mean, honestly, which is pretty true to heptathletes anyways, we kind of just dabble in everything. But we were a huge, huge basketball family. I have my sister is 6'1 and my brother is 6'6". I just didn't kind of get those same genes. I'm 5'6", and so I kind of had to choose a new avenue. So I was actually the first person in my family to do track and field, and I was pretty dang good at it right away. So it was really fun, and I kept going. I actually only did track because my friends um, were doing it, and I didn't want to be left out. And so... My friends all quit track and I fell in love with it and I kept going. And here I am all these years later still doing it. That's so amazing. So early on, did you see sports as just something fun, like you said, that you got to hang out with your friends? Or were you like immediately competitive with sports from the beginning? You know, I think I was actually more competitive as a kid, interestingly enough. As the youngest of five as I've grown up, I've actually gotten a lot less competitive because I've learned that it keeps the peace a lot better because my family is so competitive. So when it came to family game night and everything like that, like actually I remember this one time where my mom was just cheating. And so we were all like, mom, you're cheating. And then we found out that my sister was also cheating. My brother got so mad and he goes, 
But by the way, these are not ones, these are 11s. And he was cheating and everybody was just cheating. And it turned out to be like really hilarious, but that was kind of like typical. Like everybody just wanted to win by any means necessary. And sometimes it would get really heated. Sometimes it was fun and funny like that, but sometimes it would get heated. And I realized like, you guys can win. I'm just going to go ahead and have fun. And if I have good cards, I have good cards and that's it. And I kind of detached from like winning. And that's kind of why I like track so much. I think that's why I was drawn to it as I got a little bit older, because with track and field, like as you get competitive, yes, you still do want to win. But even if you could take eighth place and even if you did your very best, you did amazing and absolutely anything, everything like you're going to be pretty happy. And I think that's what kind of drew me to track um, is it was so individualistic and it was just about improving yourself every single day. And so I kept doing it. I fell in love with it. I love that. Well, it's so interesting because you, you obviously were pretty good at some of the events. I mean, in high school, we know you won state in three events, the hurdles, the long jump and the high jump. And then you were recruited to go to Utah State to be a heptathlete. So at that point in your career, you know, in high school, when you knew you were obviously pretty good at those three events, you know, what was it like to have somebody come and ask you about joining you know, a division one program as a heptathlete. Is that something that you had any sort of hesitation about at first or were you all in right when they recruited you? You know, what's so interesting is I had really good grades in high school. And so I actually, I had really bad grades up until ninth grade. And then I told, I told my parents cause they, my parents would be like, Shari, like, why are your grades so bad? And I'm like, I promise you guys, you guys taught me grades don't count until you're in ninth grade because that's when they actually contribute to your GPA. <laughs> and, and so I was like, once ninth grade hits, I promise like I'll do a good job. And I got a 4.0, like I had straight A's. And so I was actually recruited from a lot of like really big schools that like I was recruited by Brown and Cornell and MIT. And to be fair, like, that, those were the schools that were really, really intimidating to me, mostly because of academics. And so I decided to stay a little closer to home and go to Utah State. And I was really happy with that because I feel like I got a lot less culture shock when I was there. I wasn't like super overwhelmed. I was only two hours away from home. And so it ended up working out. And yeah, I loved it. My biggest thing would say like take all of your visits if you're somebody who's like getting offered a lot of visits unfortunately I didn't really get a chance I was also doing basketball and volleyball at that time and my basketball coach was like you can choose one visit but I'm not losing you five different games like no and the thing that's so crazy is because when we're young you know we're obsessed with our coaches we're obsessed with authority but like at the end of the day even as a young kid you have to remember that this is your life. And so you need to accommodate for yourself. And that means choosing a good path, like for yourself. Don't do it because your parents tell you that like, that's not good. Don't do that. Like do that for your, for your future, invest in yourself. Like if your coaches tell you, no, just go here, go here, go there. Like do what you want to do. You know, like, I, I mean, I probably wish I would have taken a couple more visits. So that would be the first thing. And the second thing I would do for somebody who, I mean, I got recruited um, out of high school pretty heavily because I won, you know, three of the events that were in the heptathlon and I had decent grades. But if you want to go to college and maybe you're not getting like recruited right out of the gate, I would highly recommend 
going to the websites of potential schools that you would be interested in going in and emailing the coaches because my my husband actually walked onto the track team and he was like really amazing and he had potential to get like scholarships and stuff in the future as well so you might start by walking on a track team and it might turn into something like a scholarship and if it doesn't turn into a scholarship you still get that amazing experience like don't feel like you need to get like recruited out of college out of high school or you're not going to be able to do it in college like that happens all the time people um, walk onto teams and then before they know it, they're on a full ride and now they're a professional athlete. That happens all the time. That is so true. There are many different paths to yeah. getting into a collegiate sports team, but what was your relationship with mental health like in college? Was it part of your routine in high school and then in college? I wish with all of my heart that mental health training and mental fitness training was a thing. It is still kind of, I feel like it could be a lot stronger than it is now, but it, it when I was in high school, it wasn't even a thing at all. I mean, you just got nervous. You felt like you were going to throw up. And then before you knew it, the race was over and you were like, okay, I feel better now, you know, kind of a thing. And you just assumed that that's how life was. And, you know, my mental health I would say didn't start declining until I would say I was in college. And it started when I was a freshman And I kind of surprised myself because I thought that right away I was going to be, you know, not very good out of the gate. And so I was kind of expecting that. And I surprised myself by winning conference my freshman year. And so then there was this crazy expectation. All of a sudden, I was a freshman who won conference. And now it's like, okay, now you got to try to go to nationals. Now you got to try to do this and that and this and that. My parents were always super supportive, always came to all my meets. And my dad would always be like, you have a heart of a champion, like, la, 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 la. And it seemed, um, it seemed as though, like, every time I succeeded, people would just come out of the gate being like, you're amazing, you're amazing. And my little tiny little cute Shari brain when I was younger took that to mean that my value came from winning. I mean, winning was, I was, I had a heart of a champion, not because I'm a human being, I had a heart of a champion because I'm winning. Like if I wouldn't have had a heart of a champion, if I would have lost, you know, kind of a thing. And I started really attaching my value as a human being to who, how I was performing. And my sport became my identity. And when I went to practice, I was there so that I could get better so that people would like me. I didn't realize that um, until actually only a few years ago. But in the moment, like that is where my anxiety really started because it's one thing to have a race on the line. Like maybe you don't do very well and you don't get a good time. Like think about that. If you just think of it objectively, like that's not that big of a deal. That's not really threatening to anything. However, if your value as a human being determines is determined by you winning, like that's a very direct threat to yourself. If I don't win, if I don't get a really good time right now, like I won't have friends, I won't have success, I won't have love, I don't have value. And that is that is so stressful. And I th- there's no reason to believe that wouldn't cause somebody like to have ridiculous panic attacks. And uh, that was like the biggest thing for me, I, I would say, is trying to get through. That's actually why I became pro was because my mental health struggled so much through college. 
And I knew I didn't even come close to scratching my potential. And I knew that I still could. And I knew my brain was the thing getting in my way. And so I went pro. Didn't do anything about my mental fitness. Just like assumed it was going to continue to get better as I got older. I just didn't do anything. And it wasn't until 2019 that I was like, wait, can I do something about this? And that's kind of how I got into really getting mental fitness under control. That's really amazing. And it just goes to show what a big difference mental health makes in performance, especially in high stress environments like college. We know that over 33% of collegiate student athletes have reported significant symptoms of depression, anxiety, or other mental health conditions. So what two pieces of advice would you give a girl who is struggling with her mental health? What would you whisper to her today? Yeah, I mean, so to me, 30% seems super low. I would say that that 30% is probably just the people that are admitting to it. To me, getting anxious, getting sad, getting depressed, getting like going through something that feels like you don't have control, that would be like saying I got a stomach and being like only 30% of people get the stomach bug. It's kind of like maybe like this year, only 30% might get that stomach bug. You know what I mean? Kind of a thing. In, in, my, in my opinion and in my experience of coming in contact with humans, I would say that maybe like one out of 10 people have said something like, not really, like I don't, I don't really get anxiety. You know what I mean? But other than that, I would say most people, most people are struggling. And so if you are struggling, like I hope you know two things that you're in the majority, like don't think that you're like going crazy or like, why am I like this? And everybody else is comical and collected. They are not. You're, you're normal. And number two, it's just like if you haven't gone running for years, your whole life, and then you decided to go on a run, like it's going to be really hard. And that's how mental fitness is too. You can train it, you can get better and you can start finding yourself getting in control. It doesn't mean that you're never going to get tired when you go on a run, right? It means it just means that it's going to get easier. You're going to get more comfortable with it and you're going to be able to adjust a lot quicker. And those would be the two things is that number 1 you're not crazy. And number 2 you're not doomed. It's it, you can fix it. You can help it. That Thank you for listening to the Voice and Support podcast. My name is Zasha Bolhawk and I am the producer of this Voice and Support podcast episode. I run track and cross country at the University of Houston. I love working with Voice and Support in order to empower young girls and women in sports. And I would love it if you would join us in trying to make a change. Go follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Voice and Support for more amazing content. You can also sign up for free and join our community of female athletes at voiceandsport.com for mentorship, sports content, and inspiration. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the rest of this episode. Yeah, I think that it started with my very first pentathlon championships where I thought I was going, I, I was in the lead and I had the 800 left. And I wasn't really that seasoned in the 800 But because of that, I wasn't really afraid of the 800. I was like, all right, like, let's go. And I don't know what happened, but somebody came over to me right before and said, all it takes is a little heart. And I took that to mean, go sprint this 800. (laughs) And so I sprinted the 800. I came through my first 
200 meters at 25 seconds, which is almost my, per which was like almost my personal best for an open 200. And that's how that 800 went. So it was not good. It was not good at all. And uh, I ended up, because I died so hard, I ended up losing the heptathlon. And it was weird because it was so devastating to me. And I think that's kind of like where my anxiety started because I was embarrassed. Not that I lost. I was embarrassed like I'm not good enough, like I'm not very good. And so then every single time I brought into it was time for a heptathlon, like days before I would be mortified, just terrified of reliving that, terrified of having it happen. And I wouldn't be able to sleep. I wouldn't be able to eat. And again, coming back to the fact that I had equated my value to my performance. And it was just, it was the worst. It was the worst to be feeling that way. And so, yeah, I did. I, I tried there. I remember I was at this meet and there was a girl who ended up tearing her Achilles there. And I remember the first thing I thought was that freaking lucky girl. Like she doesn't have to compete. She doesn't have to perform. And it's so crazy because that was the meet that I qualified for my first national championships. However, like I didn't have fun during that. Like I, I hated it. I wanted it to be done. I wanted it to be over, but I, and, and then we were, I was at another meet and I remember like being like, I can't do this. And I remember thinking that girl tore Achilles and she didn't have to compete for the rest of the year and nobody was mad at her. Like, because I knew if I just quit, people would be mad at me. I would have to answer to a lot of people, to coaches, to parents, to everything. So I was like, I, I, I've got to get a way out of this. And that's kind of like where I was trying, I was like jumping up and down on my ankle, like trying to like hurt myself. And I remember being like, oof, that's not good. You know, like this is not good. And then I just started bawling. It was awful. And the meat just, it didn't go well because my brain wasn't in the right spot. And then it brought into the next one and it's just a snowballing effect in that in at that point. And did you ever see a sports psychologist in college? What advice would you give to girls when they are choosing their sports psychologists and meeting them for the first time? I'll be honest, and this is actually like probably like good advice, but I did go see a sports psychologist and he was he was great. He was great. But there, he, we just, there was this one part, like this one time that he made me like really uncomfortable. And I was like, no, I'm not doing this again, you know, kind of a thing. And the, the I mean, the, I think the thing that uh, with that is there's not a one size fits all. And if you don't like a therapist that you see, like, doesn't mean that therapy's not for you. So I, it wasn't really that I didn't try. It was that I tried, it didn't work. So I assumed that I, it's me. It's not, it's not, there's nothing I can do. Like, yeah, that's, that's kind of like how that journey went. Exactly. This is yeah. why we have so many different sports psychologists on the Viz platform, because sometimes you see one and it just doesn't click. And it doesn't mean that it's a problem with you or with them, but it just doesn't work. If, 
that happens with your first sports psychologist, don't give up on therapy in general, but look for a different sports psychologist and eventually right. you'll find one that works for you. Or the second. It took me one, two, I went through, it was number four that where I found one that was like good for me. I had one, and you know what's crazy is every single therapist that I have worked with has taught me something that I've taken away from that, but it wasn't necessarily like the right fit. There was one, (laughs) I did have one that was so mean. (laughs) He was so mean. And he would just like, he would scream at me if I asked a question and it was just, it was horrifying. And I was like, I can't, I cannot. However, he did teach me some of the things that are like maybe the most vital to my actual training. And so I had to be in a space and I was a lot older. If that would have happened in, in college, I would have been like, no, like I'm done. Goodbye. So I was really lucky that it was when I was a little bit older because I had to take the good, the good and then take that with me and say, okay, this is what I learned from that. That was actually a positive experience overall. Now let's find somebody that's a little bit more aligned with my communication. The thing, the thing that's hard about that is I don't think that there's a logical, like they hit like this checklist, this checklist, this checklist, but something that I think in general in life that we need to learn how to do is like really just like trust like our gut and trust our heart. Like how do, how do they make us feel when they're asking us questions? And do we feel inspired when they give us suggestions? Do we feel bigger or do we feel smaller? And really just asking ourselves like, how do, how does this person make me feel when they're giving me advice? And how do they make me feel when they're hearing my questions? Because, um, the biggest thing is one of the people that I saw, it it wasn't that I didn't like him. I actually really did like him as a person, like a lot, a lot, a lot, but his stuff didn't inspire me. I wasn't like, it didn't resonate with me. And it was almost kind of, I felt like it was my issue. It was kind of like a, just do it kind of a thing. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, another one, you know, I told you, I mentioned like the, the questions he would ask me just like made me just feel a little uncomfortable. And then my, the third option that I tried, like, it was just like, I cried a lot after our meeting. <laughs> as like a grown up, as like a grown person, I cried, I cried, I would just start crying afterwards. And so now Bill, the person that I'm working with, anytime that I'm feeling, you know, doubtful, or I have a question, or even he'll, he'll give me some advice, and then I'll kind of question him about it. Like, well, what about X, Y, and Z? You know, he's very like, oh, you know, there's some science behind this that shows our brain that and it can help with, you know, and he gives me like, he, he actually has a conversation with me. He makes me feel really good. He makes me feel inspired. And he gives me nuggets that are like, oh, like I can do that. I can use that. I can bring that to the table. And he also allows me to solve a lot of my own problems as well. So I love it. I think that's super helpful because how somebody makes you feel at the end of the day is, is just such an important life lesson, right? Whether it's your friends, your, like your family, your sports psychologist, you know, I mean, yeah, your coach, it's so important to kind of recognize that. And and I'm not saying nobody should be pushing you. Of course, we all need to be pushed and challenged, but 
there's a difference between being pushed and challenged and somebody really like kind of tearing you down or making you feel bad about yourself. So let's talk a little bit about that because I, a lot of young women that are part of our community, unfortunately are dealing with abusive coaches or, you know, coaches that tell that are telling them that they're not good enough. And that leads to a lot of young girls leaving, feeling, feeling bad about themselves or even just, you know, anxiety in their sport. So what advice do you have for girls that might be in a situation like that where their coach is not, you know, telling them that they're not good enough or they're just in the bad coaching athlete relationship? Yeah, I guess it, it's hard. So I've had a lot of coaches in my career. I think I had 11 coaches in college. There was just a lot of turnover at Utah State while I was there. And I was really lucky because I did have a lot of really incredible but I also have had coaches. I mean, I was in maybe potentially the best shape of my life. And I made a mistake during one of my runs, one run, one run, one wrong mistake. And a coach, one of like the assistant coaches was like, sorry, because I wanted to run this like really fast pace. And he's like, you can't run that fast. Sorry, you're not fast enough. And it crushed me. I like, crazily it crushed me even though I knew I was in the best shape I knew I could run it and all of a sudden I found myself running slow way slower way slower way slower and the best thing that my sports psychologist Bill told me because I let him know that that was like really a big problem for me he asked me he said who controls your does your does your coach control your story or do you control your story and we had done a little bit of work after that where I was the one who wrote my story out and what I wanted it to be and that I was in charge of it. And so he kind of brought me back to the fact that like we as athletes and human beings are the ones ultimately in control of our thoughts and feelings. Now, it's not as simple as you're in control, go do it. Like there are steps that you can take to get to that point. But like, I hope you know that there you that you are the one that's in control of your story. I had a coach once that didn't have us do a ton of uh, workouts. And so I would go do workouts, just a little bit extra stuff. Like we never did like core exercises. We never worked on upper body strength. And so I would spend a little bit of extra time just doing it myself. And the thought process behind that was I'm going to give myself an advantage that my teammates don't have. A lot of times when it's a negative situation, because that happens all the time to everybody, there's always something that's going to come up that's a little bit negative. If we can find a way to overcome it with the mental realization that we are in control, it actually becomes like a really empowering situation. I've had a coach who, actually my coach now, I am so lucky. She's a two-time Olympian. She's absolutely incredible. Sometimes as an Olympian, as a heptathlete herself, heptathletes are very perfectionists. Like we want to do everything right every single time. How dare we not do it perfectly right now? And she's like that too, because she's a heptathlete, um, one of the best in the world. And so sometimes I'll find her overcoaching me during competitions. <laughs> and I, one time I literally, I was in the middle of a run and she started coaching me while I was in the middle of a run and it messed me up so bad. And I came up to her and I put my hand on her shoulder and I was like, Hey, I got it. 
I, and I, I just had to communicate to her. I just said like, there are times where I do need your feedback. And there are times like when I'm in the middle of something <laughs> where I don't, and I said it, you know, we had a conversation that was a little bit better than that. But a lot of times with communication with your coach, like you can always try to communicate, you know, something that's like really cool is I have really incredible parents, but when I wanted to move to England and pursue track and field more, they told me, no, they didn't support that. When I wanted to be a professional heptathlete, they told me, no, they didn't support that. And now, you know, they're like, thank goodness you didn't listen to us. We're so awesome. They, you know, they go everywhere with me and they, they support me so much, but sometimes you have to understand that at the end of the day, you control your story. I really love that. So if a girl wants, you know, is listening to this episode right now and wants to kind of follow that exercise, like how did they get started? What did you do? I think the best way is get out a piece of paper and start writing down goals that you don't even think, maybe dreams, not goals. Start writing down dreams that you just like, if this happened right now in this moment, you would just start bursting into tears because you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe you were capable of doing it. Start writing those down. Those are the dreams that I that that you write down. And the next thing that I want you to do is start making little goals, like little steps to going towards them. That's second. That's step two. And then step three is try to think of things that might be in your way that you might need to overcome. Maybe you're five six, and so it's uh, a lot of the heptathletes that you compete against are six feet. Maybe it's that you don't have access to like a really amazing track. Maybe it's that there's no coaches in your area. Start writing down a list of things that are not things that are going to stop you from doing it, but maybe obstacles in your way. And then after you do those three things, your dreams, your goals, and your obstacles, start making a plan of what your story looks like and how you're going to make it happen. And if you start doing that, you are the creator of your life. You're going to start seeing it come through for you more than you possibly know. I love that so much. So I am a big fan of, I mean, obviously it's why we started named the company voice in sport. Like we really believe like using your voice, even if it's like writing it down for yourself is just like such an important therapeutic tool to really envisioning like your future in sport or even after sport. So I love that you shared that. I can't wait for the girls in our community to do that. I want to talk a little bit about like what made you decide to go to University of Bath in England. I mean, you were very successful there. You became the 2018 British Outdoor Champion and broke a record, a three decade old record in the process, which is pretty incredible. So what were some of like the biggest challenges and obstacles that you ran into as being, you know, a student athlete overseas? And what advice would you give to girls if they're considering to do that shift, you know, midway through or at the end of their um, U.S. experience? I actually highly recommend any girls that are maybe not ready to go pro yet, but they want to keep going. Uh, I would highly recommend to find a university overseas that can help you that can help you continue on the journey because you can still go to college. I got my master's degree in one year and trained while doing that. And it was such a great experience. I obviously improved. I got better. I put almost 200 points onto my score and it was so, it was just such a great fun experience too. And you get to hang out with the athletes overseas. I chose to go to an English speaking country 
there's you can go to Australia, you can go to New Zealand, you can go to Ireland, Scotland, England, all over. I used a program called Team Glees, G-L-E-A-S, that helped me kind of find the school that I wanted to go to. And it was it was a super cool experience. I absolutely loved it. But when it comes to, you know, like the mental training aspect, that wasn't something that I actually learned until I came back to the States because I was the British champion. I have got to tell you that I cried 10 times maybe during that competition. I threw a personal best in the in the javelin, came back to my little shadow where like my little tent where everything was and just cried until my next event. Like I was sobbing through long jump doing great, by the way, like competing great and just crying, bawling my eyes out. I got done with the heptathlon. I got like the score I needed to get all of that. And I was sobbing, but not from happiness. I was exhausted from crying through the entire meet and just having anxiety. And like, it was almost like I was just relieved that it was over. And then I got to be like, yay, I did it. But it was just, I was so grateful that like when I came back in 2019, like that's when I really started working hard on that. And, you know, the three pieces of advice that dream big, the write down your goals, write down your obstacles. I am actually super excited because I take mental training and mental fitness so seriously because of how much it helped me really just enjoy my sport again, that this summer I'm actually going to be coming out with a mental training program. And I'm really excited about it. But but yes, it was, I mean, I, I was so stressed that entire competition. And now, I mean, even when, even if I don't do my very best in competition, like I had a competition last week and I did not do that bad. I'll be honest. I did actually pretty decent, but I didn't do that, that good either. And I was like having fun. I had a good time. I learned a lot. I absorbed what I needed to learn. And I wasn't just stressed the whole time, shaking, crying, not enjoying it. I was there being like, this is so fun. I love track and field. And I never thought I was going to be able to do that. And that's why I created the program as I wanted to help girls do the same. Oh, well, I can't wait to see your program. I'm sure it's going to be amazing because I think I've heard you say before, but in your sport, it's first to show, last to go. So you're there for a really long time. And so you have to bring it inside a little bit and be really mentally strong. So I'm so excited to see that. I'm sure it's going to help so many girls. When it's ready, let us know. We'll share it with our community. Okay, for sure. Um, Let's and let's talk about, you know, I guess what you learned when you did come back to the United States and started taking your mental performance a bit more serious. What did that look like for you? You know, because I think it still scares a lot of young girls who don't really know, well, what does it mean to kind of go get get support and think about mental health just like my physical health? So for you, what what did that journey look like? Um, and what kind of practices do you put into your week now as a professional athlete? that helps you keep that level of importance on your mental side, just like you have on your physical side? I think that's a really good question and super important to talk about because it all started actually with my, my last panic attack. That's where my mental health journey started was in 2019. It was indoor championships. And again, I was doing great sitting in metal position, 
I was in silver medal position, easily silver medal position with one of my best events coming up, which was the long jump at the time. And I was ready to go, but I was just in the middle of a full blown panic attack. I actually had completely blacked out and had like tunnel vision. I remember there was this girl came up to me and was like, are you okay? And I was like, where are you? Like, I didn't even know like where she was. Like, it was just, it was so bad. I ended up pulling my hamstring just because my body had seized up so much. And there I was not finishing the 800 because I pulled my hamstring, letting myself down once again. And I was in New York and my parents were there just trying to be supportive. And I looked them in the eyes and I was like, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I, I think they didn't know like what I was talking about at the time. Like they weren't sure, like, are you going to like, are you retiring? Like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to go home and I'm going to figure out how to be mentally tougher. Like I'm going to figure this out. So when I went home, the first step, the first step was asking myself and also asking everybody around me, why do I have this? Like, why is this happening? And I asked why, 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 why to everybody. And that is when I ultimately came to that conclusion that I talked to, that I talked at the beginning about putting my value on my sport as a human, like putting my value as a human onto my performance in sport. And once I did that, I realized like, well, that's odd. What a weird thing to do. Like realistically, like I asked myself, do I believe I'm a good person? even if I don't do well in track? And the answer is yes, I absolutely do. So then I had my next competition and I promised myself, no matter what, you are not allowed to care how you do. You are only allowed to have fun doing what you do. And I will tell you, I did very bad right away. I didn't do too bad in hurdles, but high jump was like a personal worst. I I cleared my opening height and then did nothing else after that. Shot put was a mess. It was so bad. And the 200 was okay, but it wasn't really that good. And I didn't care. I honestly was just, I kept shrugging my shoulders. I was like, oh, well, like, oh, well, like, oh, well. And the next day, interestingly enough, I did, I think almost, almost at that time, personal best day two day. And it was just awesome because I had so much fun and I got done with the event and I was like, my score is terrible, but I feel great, you know? And that was the first time I didn't have a panic attack my entire career during a heptathlon or a pentathlon. And it was game changing because my very next heptathlon was USA's where I took third and qualified for my first world championships with no anxiety just a little nerves, you know, nerves are good. Nerves are great. Got excited, but no panic attacks, no blacking out, no shortness of breath where I like literally couldn't even handle life during that competition. And the rest is kind of history. To continue listening to this podcast, please go to voiceinsport.com and sign up for free. Shari goes on to share her one most important piece of advice for women in sports and talks about how we can own and activate our own identity. We can create our own story. Head to minute number 40 to get started on voiceandsport.com. This week's episode was produced and edited by Viz creator Zoja Bolhawk, a track and cross-country athlete from the University of Houston. 
We're so thankful for Shari and how she shared her story with us today on Global Running Day of all days. We are very excited to see the incredible things she will achieve in sport and beyond, especially as she begins to advocate for mental health and create an incredible training program for future athletes. You can follow Shari on Instagram at underscore Shari Hawkins. Please subscribe to the Voice and Sport podcast, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and send this episode to a friend that you think might enjoy our conversation. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice and Sport. And if you're interested in joining our community, sign up for free at voiceandsport.com. When you join Viz, you gain access to our exclusive content and podcasts, mentorship sessions from professional athletes, and access to the top Viz experts in sport psychology and nutrition. You might also want to check out other episodes featuring amazing heptathletes like episode number 74, Strength is Beautiful, Embrace It, with Annie Kuntz. See you next week on the Voice and Sport podcast.